Grace and peace, brothers and sisters, from our Lord Jesus Christ in the United Methodist Church of Uniontown. I am Vicar Derek Kabilis, and this is an exile cast coming to you from my empty, quiet office here in the church on March 18th, 2020, uh, about 9 p.m., just about 9 o'clock. I just wanted to reach out to you this way tonight uh, before I go to bed. I've been checking in with some of you, and I gotta say, everyone seems to be doing okay. Uh, we don't have any reports of any illnesses or anything like that that are too deep. Um, but uh, I do have a lot of reports of people um, battening down the hatches. Uh, folks have good supplies of food. They have support systems. And um, everyone uh, that I've talked to so far just seems like they're willing to do whatever it is that we have to do to get through this. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the way uh, folks in this church are handling these strange and unsettling times. Uh, I'm really proud of the care that you're showing for one another and the fact that you are keeping that social distance, which they say is going to be the thing that gets us through this. So... Um, if no one said it to you yet today, you're doing a good job. You're doing a good job. Um, but I did want to say, you know, I've, I've, I've had some interactions with folks over the past few days, actually. And it seems to me that uh, I feel like our emotions have begun to migrate. I think when this all started, when we, we started hearing about this... Uh, maybe once church was canceled, it, it felt to a lot of folks like a mild annoyance. Oh man, I can't do this, I can't do that, church is canceled, or are we overreacting, what's happening here? And then, a couple days later, it, it felt almost like surreal. People kept saying that they were reminded of the days immediately following September 11th. Like, they knew this big, historic, sort of earth-shaking thing was happening, but, but no one really knows exactly what's going on or how it's all going to turn out in the end. And now, um, I've talked to a couple folks for whom fear has set in. That, that uh, surreal surreal feeling has, has given way to fear. And I get that. Um, you can talk to my wife a couple times this week. I've gone down the rabbit hole of anxiety, wondering where this is all going to go, where it's all going to end, when are we going to get back to church. Um, and I try to remember that the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. And that's when um, I try to get close to my wife or I reach out on the phone to somebody um, or I go to my God in prayer. Uh, I try to find some of that love to cast out some of that fear as best I can. Um, 
today I have a sermon for you. Um, it was preached all the way back in November. I never got around to throwing it on the internet. Uh, so here it is for when you have a chance. Um, it's called Mini Apocalypses and the Bulldozer of Time. Uh, seemed kind of appropriate for our current context. I hope it gives you some grace, and I want to leave you with an old Irish prayer that uh, I might be leaving you with until we uh, meet again here at the church. Some of you have probably heard it before. It goes, May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and the rain fall softly on your fields. Until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Enjoy the sermon. Okay. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, Mini Apocalypses and the Bulldozer of Time. Mini Apocalypses and the Bulldozer of Time. Please pray with me. And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A couple years ago, my parents were getting ready to move out of my childhood home. And so I went over there one last time before they sold it to take a look around and to be with them in that place where I grew up. And as I left, I was feeling so uh, nostalgic that I decided on my way home I would drive around to every public school I attended. And if the coast was clear, I might even stop off and get out of my car and look in the windows and just take some time to let the memories wash over me. I hit the primary school first, and when I looked into the glass doors, I saw the exact hallway I entered on my very first day of school. I saw the little cubbies where we hung our coats and took off our boots in the wintertime, and it made me think of the wet socks we would have, and then I thought about sitting on the story carpet and the celery and peanut butter we had as snacks when I was in kindergarten. Then I went to the high school, and I looked in the window, and I saw the chemistry room where I threw up after I found out I failed my very first class in the library where I learned to take solace in science fiction and I was introduced to the theology and the philosophy that would become great loves of my life. 
Across the parking lot at the middle school, I saw into the lunchroom that terrible gladiatorial arena of raging hormones and social anxiety. I didn't stay there very long. Finally, I made my way across town to Streetsboro Road to good old Richfield Elementary, where I spent third and fourth grade. Those were two of my best years in school. Both my teachers were warm and patient, and I didn't have any ankle operations while I was there, and I, I made a lot of friends in school during those two years. But by some incredible cosmic coincidence, that very day as I was on my little memory tour, I happened to pull in the parking lot just as the wrecking ball was raising the school to the ground. Bulldozers were pushing the rubble into little piles and men with hard hats were scurrying around behind orange makeshift fences dismantling the memories of 10,000 childhoods. I hadn't been inside that building since the year 1993 yet. For 10 minutes that day, all I could do was sit in my car and watch and weep. What is it about buildings? Brick and mortar, wood and steel, plumbing and wires and walls with faded paint. None of it may be particularly beautiful to look at, nor all that dissimilar from the other buildings like it. Yet when they fall, or when we have to leave and we take one last mournful look around, what is it that we are grieving? What is it that we feel like we are losing? When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, as for these things that you see, the day will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. The temple was no ordinary building. Finally completed by Herod the Great, the second Jewish temple stood nine stories tall. That doesn't sound very tall to, to you and me, but back then in the ancient world, it was one of the biggest, tallest construction projects in the world. And it was adorned with carved wood from Asia and Europe, precious jewels and in gold trim. The outer court held this continual bazaar where hundreds of vendors sold sacrificial animals and food and fabrics and trinkets from all over the world. The inner courts had this, these, these massive stone altars where Bulls and goats and pigeons were sacrificed and burned for the sins of the people. And most special of all was at the very center, 
a place they called the Holy of Holies. It was considered to be the most sacred place, the, the, the most sacred single location in all of creation, this cube room where it was said the very presence of God dwelt on earth. And it was, it was partitioned from the rest of the temple by a fabric curtain that was seven inches thick. They called the temple the navel of the earth, the place where the universe was connected by some spiritual umbilical to its creator, where all the nourishment of God was said to flow into the cosmos, giving life to the world. And Jesus said it had to come down. That's crazy. You gotta understand, we don't have anything like this in our contemporary world. The way the Jews of the first century understood the temple is not like how Catholics understand the Vatican or, or even like Muslims view Mecca today. The temple wasn't just a religious artifact or a, a, a sacred pilgrimage site or a special place of worship. The temple was their religion. It was the place where God was, in a literal sense, the very house of God on earth. It was the place where the sacrifices were made, the only sacrifices that could atone for all the sins of the people. Its bricks and its mortar were a symbol, a, a, a sacred sign that God was still with Israel. That God was keeping God's covenant with Israel. And its very existence testified to the fact that God still loved the world. And Jesus betrays all of that history. All of that faithfulness. All of that devotion. And he prophesies that that not only will it be destroyed, but not one stone will be left upon another. It will be wiped out, completely desolated. Can you imagine the sadness of such an idea? Can you imagine the confusion and the outrage that would be caused by this this upstart prophet from Galilee, that, that he would have such gall is to foretell the desolation of a place that, that meant so much to the people. It's no wonder that this prophecy is, is, is really in the story the final straw. It's, it, it's what breaks the camel's back. It's finally the reason the Sanhedrin plotted to have him killed. We may not have a temple of our own, but we sure do get attached to our buildings and our institutions, don't we? We find comfort and security in them. They, they hold our memories and they help us make sense of our world. Whether you're talking about religious structures like this one we're in every week or, or you talk about old schools or the house we grew up in or the house we raised our family in, 
or even in the political institutions of government, these buildings and organizations made with human hands and human ingenuity, they, they help anchor us in something, don't they? they? They can tell us who we are and why we are. They give us a story, a, a sense of continuity that helps us to construct our identity that, that helps us live a life. But in proclaiming the destruction of the temple, I believe that Jesus proclaims the eventual destruction of all buildings and institutions. The bricks and the mortars the bylaws and the constitutions, the rituals and the doctrines that have been as, as close to us as mother and father, that have been through to us the, the very navel through which we imagined ourselves to be nourished with existence, they will all crumble. And all that will remain is us and our God. I've talked before about how there are two major Israelite traditions working at the same time through Jewish history. There is the temple tradition and the prophetic tradition. The, the temple tradition was defined by the building, right? And it was, it was, it was held up by bricks and mortar, but also the Another type of building, the, the building of the law, the codes that, that kept the Israelite people together, and, and, and by the priests and the rituals that, that anchored the Israelite identity. But behind and all around the temple was another tradition, the prophetic tradition. And in the prophetic tradition, God was not understood to be shut up in some building. But, but his throne is, is imagined by the prophet Elijah was a, was a flaming chariot blazing its way across the sky. Unbound, unencumbered, unlike, not unlike a, uh, a certain wild goose, if you will. Squawking and, and causing trouble, always pestering Israel, always calling the people of God to new life and new ideas, to, to never be satisfied with what was, but to dream about what could be. Now, don't get me wrong. I have described myself as a temple guy, right? That it's part of my vocation when I stand up here with my silly little scarves and my black dress. I stand here as a representative of a building. I stand here as a representative of a denomination and a 2,000-year-old tradition. Those things anchor me in my vocation. And that's why I, I, I do things to, to help you grow the ministries of this church, of this place, this organization. 
That's why I supported the trustees and and their desire to, to fix this building. It's the reason why I embarrassingly ask for your gifts and pledges. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe in the power of institutions, the power of rituals, even the power of buildings. But I have to reckon with the fact that Jesus was a prophet. And every time we become too comfortable in our house or in our school or in our church, Jesus becomes a prophet of doom. And he reminds us that we're not going to have the bricks in the mortar forever. That we don't even need the bricks in the mortar. That you don't need the, the bylaws and the constitutions. That we don't need the governments and the rituals and the childhood homes and all those other things. We had convinced ourselves were eternal. All you need is Jesus. All you need is me, he says. All you need is my spirit and my compassion in my life and all those other things, those things that we've convinced ourselves are solid and supportive. They will only last in our only good insofar as they testify to my love. The temple crowds ask him, scared and upset, quite understandably so, about when this is going to happen. How will we know? He says, when you hear of wars and insurrections, when nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom, when there are famines and earthquakes and Dreadful portents and great signs in heaven. It sounds like he's talking about the apocalypse here. It it sounds like he's talking about the end of days, the end of all things. But he's actually not. He's, He's actually talking about a particular point in history, a a particular day. He's, He's talking about a kind of mini-apocalypse that would happen in Jerusalem. When in the year 70 AD, the Roman Emperor Titus finally fed up with those Jews and those Christians would march into Jerusalem and destroy the temple. It was a terrible thing that happened that day. Blood ran in the streets. Christian and Jews were were persecuted alike. And a temple to Zeus was built on the Temple Mount. Unclean pigs were sacrificed to a pagan god in the Holy of Holies. But why? why? Why would God allow something like this to happen? There were people that compared it to to when Daniel predicted something called the abomination of desolation. How could God allow this to happen? 
How could all this, this tradition in history be wiped out like this? Why would God allow all those bricks and memories and traditions to be destroyed? And Jesus says it in verse 13. This will give you an opportunity to testify. This will give you an opportunity to tell the world about my love. This will give you an opportunity to share my compassion and my forgiveness and my salvation throughout all creation. You need not be encumbered by a building. You need not be tied inextricably to a tradition. You need not be hemmed in by what came before. You need to be free. What you need is the space to find your voice. What this world needs is for you to go to every land and every building and to every institution and tradition and proclaim the goodness in the blessing of God. 70 AD was, for early Jews and Christians, a kind of mini-apocalypse where their world was destroyed and their universe was changed forever. And I know there are people here today who are going through some mini-apocalypses of their own. Lives are changing among us. Some here have lost friends and loved ones. Others are scared about what's going to happen to the United Methodist Church. Folks feel alienated from their brothers and sisters by what's happening on the news and in the political world. Wars and rumors of wars abound, and there are some that feel like the, technical, the technological revolution that has swept over our culture has left them behind, and they don't even know how the world works anymore. There are those among us who feel like every time we finally finish construction, on a nice, cozy little house, God sends in the wrecking balls and the bulldozers to tear it all down again. I get that. It's scary and mournful and upsetting. But this is your chance to testify. This is your opportunity to proclaim. This is your time to preach, even if it's just to your own heart, to remind yourself and this world that God is bigger than any building, that God is broader than any denomination and infinitely greater than any government or political party, that every time an old Jerusalem is pounded into the dust, a new Jerusalem will be built in its place. It's your chance to tell the world 
about the new Jerusalem springing up in our hearts, about the new heaven and the new earth coming down and being built up in the ashes of the old, about the soul-healing, mind-changing, wound-closing, life-giving Spirit of God who loves us so much that he just won't let us dwell in the past. But you're allowed to mourn the passing of your old world. You're allowed to grieve the destruction of your old life. You're allowed to sit in, in your car and weep while your memories are ground into ash. But you're not allowed to stay there. You're not allowed to despair you're not allowed to keep going back to imagine what was or what could have been, to keep hitting that nostalgia button like an addict looking for a fix. Because this world needs to know about God's love. And you have too much to say. These words I offer to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs>